0: And welcome to episode 175 of the MTG Goldfish Podcast. It's Seth, probably better known as Saffron Olive. And this week, we got two guests. Of course, Richard. How's it going this week, Richard?
1: Hey, Seth. What's going on?
0: Uh, Recovering from the Pro Tour. It was an interesting and pretty long weekend. But uh, we also have another guest this week. Chris Van Meter. What's up this week, Chris?
2: Uh, Not much. I'm also recovering from the Pro Tour. And, uh... Man it's, it was exciting, and I can't wait to start talking about it, to be honest.
0: Uh, that's a that's a good segue, because that is our main topic, or at least our first topic for today. So just to lay things out where we're heading today, starting off, of course, with Pro Tour Diamond Area. Then we got a bunch of Magic Arena news, uh, new formats coming, the economy post, and then we'll finish things off with Fishmail at the end. So I guess we just jump right into Pro Tour Diamond Area. So give me your just your first reactions. Did you enjoy it? What did you think of it first impressions pro tour dominaria
1: uh (laughs) it was okay so so day one we find out that it's the chain roller meta and uh if your if your deck is weak against chain roller uh you're not in a good spot because i think 35 percent of the field was playing it and by the time we got to day two in the top eight it was just red red everywhere the top eight was uh seven of eight decks was red based, so you had uh, mono red with Hazaret and Earthshaker Kenras. You had red black mid range, which went bigger and played Chain Rollers, Chandras, Glory Bringers, Karns in the board, uh, License Disintegration, Scrap Peach Crownger. And then you had uh, red black aggro, which was a bit lower to the ground. Uh, playing Beaumont Courier and uh, stuff like that to be a little more aggressive.
0: Don't forget Mono Red with black cards in it. That was my favorite.
1: Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, <laughs> they all basically... Like, if if we had to do some statistical analysis, the decks <laughs> would look kind of the same. And then one Esper Control player who promptly lost three games in a row in the top <laughs> eight and got shipped out. So uh, it wasn't... The meta was not what I hoped it would be. Channel Fireball came in with a... Uh, a blue-green Karn deck, looking to go all-in on Karn and Glint Nest Crane and stuff like that, so that was a little exciting, but the deck didn't do too well, so it kind of fizzled out. The the redeeming thing, I think, about the Pro Tour was the the finals match. Uh, epic finish with the uh, running top decks to, to win the Pro Tour. Uh, and uh, the improvements to coverage, I saw they tried a bunch of things. They tried the zoom-in thing, which was cool, I don't know how helpful it was. The advantage bar was, I think, pretty much on point, and they, they had different things for their deck techs and uh, their lunch breaks, so I, I thought coverage improved a lot this time around. How about you Chris, what's your first impressions?
2: So how about them Chain Whirlers? <laughs> um, I, I do agree with Richard, coverage has improved and I'm really enjoying a lot of the features and the pieces that they do. and. The more that they start using BDM, the happier I am because I love watching him do the interviews and talk with the players because I always get this sense that he's just very genuine. He loves magic, he's the magic pro tour historian, and anytime he's interacting with a player I can just tell that he's always engaged in the moment and just really enjoying talking with the people about this game that he loves. As for the decks themselves and the tournament themselves, first I want to address the elephant in the room. We have to fix these naming conventions <laughs> because they're all over the place. Black red aggro, red black aggro, mono red, it's not quite mono red, mid range. The big contention is every deck has four chainwaller in it, and all but one of the red decks in the top eight had Bowmack courier. Courier is the distinction between aggro and mid range, but even then, like, when you look at these decks post-sideboard, they all just look exactly the same when you're playing in the mirror. So really, it was just a bunch of mirror matches. Um, I, I like this style of Magic. I just wish that it wasn't as overpowered because it feels like you can't really play anything else. And the big thing that sticks out to me is that we're coming off a format where they banned Rampaging Ferocidon because it was too oppressive and kept so many of the other strategies in check with that big batch of bannings they wanted to make sure that the format could be kind of varied and successful then they go and print a card that's literally the exact same thing as frosted like chain whirler is like single-handedly keeping all of these other archetypes unable to be played like anointed procession is literally still in this format and you can't play the card because of goblin chain whirler like, Lanowar Elves and all of the decks that can use Lanowar Elves are, like, basically unplayable because of the ubiquitous of Goblin Chain Whirler, and I just think that's pretty unfortunate. Yeah,
0: it definitely has a very limiting... Uh, impact on the format where it does really even if you're not playing Chain Whirler you have to build your deck with uh, taking Chain Whirler into account which I think is kind of a bad thing when you have one card warping the meta uh, to that great of an extent where it's just so hard to play anything that dies to Chain Whirler. As far as the tournament itself I thought the matches were actually fairly interesting which is kind of surprising because I Don't especially like red aggro decks And they were all mirror matches I like a variety of decks I would have been fine if there was a couple of them So I was pretty disappointed with how The actual matchups turned out. But at least the actual games were pretty interesting. We saw a lot of five-game matches. We saw a lot of, like, close and, like, fairly technical play. There was a lot of plays that were kind of debatable. Like, did they make the right choice? Did they not make the right choice? Because the games were so close, a lot of them. So I think it made for interesting watching, even though it was only basically a one-deck metagame. I don't know. What do you think about Chain Whirler moving forward? You mentioned Frosadon was already banned. is is that even part of the conversation is that too premature we have rotation in 123 days or something is where are we at with chain whirler after this pro tour
1: i think it's getting the ban uh it's it's in dominaria so it's not rotating anytime soon and if you use if you use wizard's arguments for banning stuff in the past uh i think this is right up there because it invalidates basically everything with one toughness so for the rest of standard until chain roller you know actually rotates uh, one toughness creatures are pretty bad and I don't know that Wizards wants to design in that space so to me it's kind of like birthing pod or something where they're like okay it's, it could be okay but we're so restricted going forward that we just don't want to deal with it and chain roller seems like a good candidate for that
2: but like how bad does that look if they have to ban a card just after all of those bannings? Like, like play design is in place. They had an impact on Dominaria. Everybody's in like putting their trust in Wizards and anticipating that you know we're not going to have the same issues that we had with you know the the crap show that was Kaladesh block, and now here we have you know a triple red three three creature that's just busted in the context of the format and just puts a constraint on so many things um, I mean I, I wish that I could say that it's not gonna get banned and that rotation will fix everything but like what are they gonna do like
1: deathright Shaman. you can't play lanoir <laughs> else like you don't have
2: like you like they can't make cool one toughness creatures because they just literally die to the, to chain roller like I would like to think that it just can't get banned. That's unfathomable, unfathomable to think about right now. But like, how else do you fix this? Having seven of the same deck in the top eight of your Pro Tour, like <laughs> I think we barely we barely got close to twenty five k viewers um, on the on the stream over this weekend. That's like way low compared to the previous Pro Tour.
0: Yeah, that was that was definitely noticeable, and I tweeted about that. And I had a lot of people tell me that the reason they tuned out that they were watching or planning on watching was that it was just all the same deck and mirror matches i had several people say oh like i watched until the esper deck lost and then i just turned it off because i i know goblin chain whirler is gonna win i know it's red aggro that's gonna win there's not really any point in me dedicating my entire sunday to uh, seeing a result that i already know is gonna happen so i think that is definitely a problem and it it does seem like a stretch that it's going to change. I guess the argument I can see Wizards making for not doing anything right away is the next Pro Tour is the Team Pro Tour. So we're going to be having Modern Legacy and Standard. So even if chain whirler is ruining standard wizards can just show mostly modern and legacy matches and kind of ignore standard to some extent if it's not good matchups or if it's all chain whirler so i could see that being an argument i guess it's going to depend on how loud the complaints get and i think the fact that it looks so much like for and the same arguments that wizards themselves put out for banning for apply just as much and maybe more to goblin chain whirler it does It it does make you think that it's a mistake and they could take some action. So I'm in the middle. I could see them waiting for Ravnica to do anything because of the team pro tour. But I think there's also a chance they just ban it right away and say, like, basically have an announcement that says we already banned this card with Frocedon. It was too late for us to change Dominaria. Like the card was already in the set. It was already printed. So we couldn't take it out. But we knew in the back of our heads that this might happen. So we're just going to ban it right away and be done with it. Sorry, everyone.
2: So one, one thing that I feel like attributes to this problem of Chain Whirler being so ubiquitous like isn't just Chain Whirler being insane by itself. It's that we have this supporting cast of just insanely powerful cards, Phoenix, Hazorette, Glorybringer, and Chandra, where you could just take 16 copies, shuffle them up, and then just deal out <laughs> however many you need, and that's what goes into your deck. But when the rotation happens, we're going to lose Hazorette, Glorybringer, and Chandra, and we'll be left with Phoenix karn and like whatever else they decide to print so like if there aren't replacements for those cards and the power level of this deck it goes way, way down when the uh, rotation happens. And it could just be that a deck that supports a triple red spell isn't worth playing as we go to Ravnica when we're looking at multicolor. multi-color I, I saw
0: someone on Twitter, I don't remember who it was, said that red just won like the standard roulette and they have all the push rares and yeah. mythics this standard season. And it does kind of feel like that in standard sometimes that the best deck is just the deck that got the highest number of really pushed above the curve mythic primarily but also
2: rares yeah i mean it's it's the same when you had like collected company and tireless tracker around like the cards were just too good to not play and that skews everything
1: yeah the the interesting point i think it was day two where uh we had a a blue black control deck versus uh red black deck or it was a it was a blue black mid-range deck so it was like scarab god finisher um you know and what what happened was there was a Champion of Wits on the battlefield versus a Chain Roller, and the red player decided not to attack into it because he didn't want uh, that thing to get eternalized and draw more cards. And what we saw was a red-based deck electing to take the long game against a blue-black deck. And that that's just insane, right? Like, that, you can go so long yeah. and not even feel threatened. You're like, oh, I'll just draw more cards, Argos Bloodfast, whatever, you know, I'll just do whatever I want. Uh, you know every card demands two answers I play a phoenix, if you don't have contempt you need two answers for it and it, they just it's its just jund but like one color <laughs> right? it's like the best creatures uh, you know you splash a little black for some disruption you have so much value and it's just so hard to deal with, you can play the aggro role or you can go big and it's just so versatile right now so every match is like a jund mirror match and they go on forever as well because it takes so long to punch through
0: it's it is that's a really good point because I find myself like playing against the red black deck or whatever and you go to sideboarding and you're like okay should I bring in my aggro stuff or should I actually be like bringing in negates because they're going to be bringing in like all these planeswalkers and all this stuff Argus bloodfast so it makes this very it puts you under a lot of pressure if you're playing against it because the deck can play the aggro role really well and just curve out like one drop two drop three drop into a planeswalker or big flyer and you're dead or it can sideboard out a lot of that aggro stuff and play really the control role in a lot of matchups and it makes it really hard to find a way to interact with it effectively from the other side of the table
2: yep it's also interesting to point out when everything was all said and done it was the mono red deck that won um and i mean it just goes to goes to show something that i've thought for a while with the format in these decks is that Scrap Heap Scrounger is trash, because it can't can't block, and you end up having to be able to block in these mirrors. Um, And so the deck that didn't have Scrounger just pummeled all of the other red decks. And it
0: it looked really bad sometimes when people were sideboarding in knights, like Knight of Glory and Knight of Malice, and that just stonewalls (laughs) Scrap Heap Scrounger so much on turn two. So... Uh, So... All right, we've talked about the red deck. Is there any glimmers of hope moving forward? Like, was there anything from this Pro Tour that made you think, okay, maybe Standard's going to be awesome, or is it really just like, uh, are they going to ban Chain Whirlers? Is that the only question we got coming out of it?
1: Uh, Teferi. (laughs) Teferi. Teferi was around. Everyone was afraid of Karn coming into the Pro Tour. Karn was actually relegated to the sideboard. We didn't see much play, but Teferi control decks were around, uh, not too many made it to the top eight, only one, it was an Esper deck, but maybe if you tune this the right way, you can deal with this. If you save your exile removal for Phoenix, uh, if you play Settle the Wreckages, enough of them, maybe you can deal with all these threats and actually go big, deal with that Argos Bloodfast. So, possibly there's some way to tune control to take care of this. Teferi was still a very powerful card, and we saw him do tons of work both in Standard and Limited. For some reason, everyone opened Teferi and in Limited. But uh, I, I think Teferi is the key to all of this. He, he is insanely powerful and probably what you need to take care of Chain Roller. Because as a control deck, you don't care about Chain Roller. You really care about Hazarettes and Glorybringers and Phoenixes. So maybe you can work something with that.
2: Yeah, The so Brad... Brad Nelson and the blue-white approach deck that Team Genesis came came with went really deep um, and looked pretty good the few, a few times that I saw him on camera, even though he ended up losing down the stretch. And I do think that like Teferi is the other option. But the problems are like if you tool your blue-white deck in a way to crush these red decks, you're just gonna get murdered in the mirror. You're gonna get murdered if you play against like these blue-black, like mid-range value decks. So you kind of have to have a balance there, and what that does is that creates this situation where you still run the risk of losing to these red decks just because they have either A, a fast start, or B, just these naturally powerful cards that require specific answers, and you don't... Like you can't guarantee that that you'll have the right answers. Like when the formats are like this, and this is why I always tend to gravitate towards the aggressive decks. Is like there are no wrong questions; there are only wrong answers. And right now there are a lot of very very powerful questions and slim numbers of specific answers that work for them. That's so that's why we're seeing Hazoret, Phoenix, Chainwhirler, you know, Chandra, Karn goes blood fast. like all of these cards are just making it very difficult for the blue white deck to have things that line up properly and allow them to get to that point where Teferi can take over the game.
0: I guess my only hope as far as rotation is that maybe the red decks will lose the cards that let it play the control role. Like the cards they are losing, you're still gonna have one drops, you're still gonna have Chain Whirler, but without Chandra and Heart of Kieran, maybe you'll be less resilient to control decks, and you'll actually have like a a little bit more of the rock paper scissorsness in the meta game. But at this point. I'm not super encouraged about standard as far as like heading into future GPs and stuff. I expect that be- based on these results, we're going to be seeing a lot of the red deck moving forward. Another question I want to ask you before you move on from the pro tour, did you see any of the stuff about channel fireball and their deck list? Um, so normally they don't deck tech decks until day two or at the end of day one, and Channel Fireball in Ultra Pro, I think, or Ultimate Guard, whoever they were working with, had this blue green Karn deck, and they kind of deck teched it at the very beginning before construction uh, constructed even started, and there was a lot of complaints on Twitter because a lot of the Channel Fireball guys were saying that they played that deck specifically because of the surprise factor, and if they knew that that list would have been out there, they definitely would not have. Played Played that deck so what do you think of of how deck lists are handled do they have a legitimate complaint should deck lists just be public so they're better for coverage what do you think about the deck list thing
1: i think it was pretty bad a- according to paulo like wizards wizards admitted they screwed up and they won't do it again and you know part, part of the part of the reward for brewing some crazy deck is that you get the surprise factor and the fact that this deck is not a popular deck, it's not a metagame deck or anything. I, I it was a little weird that wizards decided to show at the beginning. Because usually going into standard uh, of the Pro Tour, they just show the decks that everyone knows. And, you know, during the first few rounds of coverage, they show all the cool decks without actually giving the full deck list. So it's a bit awkward that they show the deck in its entirety. And, you know, how many people are playing the blue-green card? I don't know, but when you sit down, your opponent's playing that, you just Remember the deck tech and you know what cards you should or should not play around. It gives an unfair advantage. So it has to be uh, you know, don't don't reveal deck lists like that or reveal every single deck list ever. And I think revealing all the deck lists might be too much. So I think just just stick to the known decks and you know save the spice for actual coverage and feature matches as opposed to, you know, kinda of just revealing it all at once.
2: Yeah, I, I would much rather have it be so that all of the deck lists are not revealed Um, although I think that they should post deck lists after day one because enough people are going to be covered that and there's these deck techs like it gives them the ability to do their deck techs or whatever but they should make sure that it just doesn't happen again right like there's a lot of pre-recorded content they have in particular like metagame breakdown type stuff where you're showing off like the popular Magic Online decks leading into the form leading into the tournament, I think that's one thing that they could do, um, and just like hold off on doing like the actual deck text until we get towards the end of day one, and then I I wouldn't be opposed to just having all the deck lists be made public after day one. That's actually I kind of like that idea.
0: I'm all for having more deck lists. I know there's definitely the counter argument to just having them public the whole time is it'll discourage people from playing cool unique decks because you don't get that surprise factor. So, I can definitely see that being a problem, but by the end of day one, so much is public anyway that you can argue there's almost some unfairness. Like, if you're one of the people who got a deck tech, everyone on day two is gonna know what you're playing, when if you didn't get a deck tech, then you might still have that surprise factor to some extent on day two. So, I don't know. I thought it it was definitely a mistake in this case, and hopefully it doesn't happen again because I did feel a little bit bad. The Karn deck looked cool and it did not perform very well. It had like a 44% conversion rate, which made it one of the worst decks on day one. Do you think that that was because of the information being out there? Like, did they have a worse performance or are they just kind of using that as a scapegoat for their deck not being that great?
2: Yeah, I was just gonna say that. I feel like this is certainly like confirmation bias like I don't think that the deck tech that happened is the reason why the deck didn't do well like we saw enough of so like I was actually watching coverage and they had that deck on camera after round one like in round one and then they did the deck tech after that so like people already saw the deck itself um, and a bunch of the cards before the deck tech went live Um, plus like it was a Llanowar Elf deck in a Goblin Chain Whirler format like you can't blame the coverage for playing a card that's poorly positioned against the rest of the meta if that makes yeah
0: one sense. one other question uh about the pro tour looking at like the esper deck in the top eight i felt like its sideboard plan was really geared for beating other control decks you saw lots of duresses and stuff that isn't necessarily super great against the aggro decks do you think there's any chance that the field somehow was more geared towards beating Karns and beating Teferis in the control decks? Because on social media there was a lot of hype from the pro community about those cards, like, in testing and heading up to the pro tour. Is there any chance that Red partly benefited from everyone being so focused on Teferi and Karns, and people were, like, somehow not prepared for the Red deck?
1: Probably. Because, I mean, Teferi was hyped, you know, Karn was hyped going in, and Everyone knew red, you know, red was a good deck, but it didn't receive that same amount of hype. So you know, when you make your sideboard, maybe you slant it more towards control, and then uh, as a result, you just get run over. So I think that was very plausible because we didn't, you know, there was no, there was no chain roller hype going into the pro tour. We knew it was a good card, but no one really understood it to this extent. Whereas every day we're talking about card bannings. So I, I think that kind of. Uh, narrative shape the meta a little bit. So,
2: this is something that we actually see in Magic, across the board. Whether you are a Pro Tour competitor or just plain kitchen table Magic or F and M's, is that in general, people like to feel clever, and you are going to feel way more clever if you can win or stall the game out with the Teferi Hero Dominaria than if you're attacking your opponent with the Ziv Skyship Raider. So. Like the Tefiri control decks, I feel like it's what a lot of people tend to gravitate to first, and then course correct from there. Whereas we see, you know, these pro teams, um, you know, Paul Reitzel, John Finkel, you know, Owen Turnwald, Reed Duke—they're just like always going to play whatever the best deck is. And I don't think that it was an accident that that was mono red for the last two standard PTs. Yeah.
0: Uh, I think that's definitely true. Um, anyway, any other thoughts on the Pro Tour before we move on to Magic Arena? Fun, fun Magic Arena topics.
1: <laughs> we need to move the Pro Tour back uh, immediately after set release, so we don't we don't have to scrape at the bottom of the barrel for spicy decks. You know, we don't we don't need to wait. And, you know, like Paolo said, he has to hold off his Standard articles, you know, so not to ruin anything for like six weeks. It just creates this large delay, which I I don't feel that Standard is any better because of it. I I feel like we just paused for a while and then here we are. So I I don't know that that was better.
2: I think that if the Pro Tour had been within one to two weeks after uh, Dominaria being released, that this Blue Green Con deck would have done way better.
0: That's an interesting argument. Why do you think it would have done better?
2: Uh, I think that the format would have been a bit more varied. There wouldn't have been like this big concentration on Goblin Chainwhirler, and I think that that the Karn deck uh, is just like sweet enough to take unrefined deck lists by surprise and beat out the unrefined deckless, which is usually what you find in those first couple of weeks. I agree. I think we... I don't know about the blue-green deck in specific,
0: although I think that's an interesting theory, but I definitely think we should go back to doing the earlier Pro Tours. I know Wizards... I guess from their perspective, maybe it's working, because if we did have the Pro Tour right after set release, and it was the same metagame, we would have spent the last month complaining about Goblin Chain Whirler, and I think that's what Wizards, like is trying to avoid is is that kind of uh, uproar and stuff but I don't know. I'm not sure I think that the red deck probably still would have been the best deck but I think it's less likely that we would have had 7 in the top 8 and some absurd number. Like the numbers on Chain Whirler were really ridiculous. I think it was 35% on day 1 into 47.5% of the list that got at least 6 wins into 87% of the top 8 decks. So just the, the better the decks did the more Chain Whirlers there were but Maybe if we had the tournament earlier, not everyone would have got there yet. And maybe some people, like, even though the red deck is the best deck and we would have figured that out eventually, maybe a higher percentage of players would have been playing a worse deck because not everyone would have figured it out like they did after six weeks. Uh, all right, so let's move on to Magic Arena. So we have lots and lots of Magic Arena news. Let's start with the good news, Richard. So we got a
1: big arena announcement about new stuff coming. Do you want to walk us through what it said? All right, this Wednesday, June 7th, Kaladesh and Ether Revolt coming to Magic Arena. But it gets better. Well, you know, because they have accelerated the rate of release people are still collecting dominaria cards they're just giving us a whole bunch of cards so play sets of staples uh from kaladesh block including chandra torture defiance fatal push gear hulk ballista courier uh scrounger you know if you want to play a pro tour deck here you go (laughs) you're a bunch of staples on top of that one of each rare mythic two of each common and uncommon so very very easy access to the entire block uh, best of threes are coming. Uh, they're gonna have some competitive queues or something. They're gonna differentiate between the best of one and best of threes. And now your MMR or your rank will be tied to your MMR. So we don't really know what that means <laughs> because your MMR is kind of hidden. But you know, you can't just like grind wins into masters or something. You, you know, your your level of play needs to be high enough such that. Uh, you know, masters will reflect a really high MMR. I
0: mean, that's really good news. I know for me, the things I had most been waiting for are best of three in full standard, and that announcement basically nailed both of those. Like, we will have actual standard. The fact that they're giving away all these cards is awesome. I think I've been reading, like, the subreddit for Arena and stuff, and I feel like people are reading a little bit too much into it because we've been having, and we'll talk about this in a minute, but a big uproar about the economy and not being generous enough. So I think some people are thinking, oh, like Wizards is doing this to solve the economy problem. They just give us give us play sets of all the good cards and Arena is awesome, but I wouldn't expect this to be a thing moving forward. I think this is, like they said, there's a lot of sets in Standard right now and Kaladesh rotates in four months or something, so it's really hard to ask people to spend money, or even to just grind for hours and hours and hours to earn these Kaladash cards. And plus Wizards needs testing. Like they were still in beta and we forget that because we treat it like it's just a normal game, but they still are trying to test this stuff. So it would be very hard to get enough Kaladash cards out there before rotation to really have meaningful testing. So I think it was a great move by Wizards, but I don't think it actually is relevant to the economy moving forward. I don't expect they're going to keep doing this every set or something.
2: Yeah, I don't think they're going to keep doing this every set, but one thing that I'm actually really interested to see what happens is what happens to all of these cards that rotate on Arena when that happens. Because it's like currently kind of touted, it's like your way to access and play standard, and cards in the magic economy tend to like hold some kind of value after they rotate, so it's like worth will have a non-zero value after they rotate so it's worth kind of getting it but for arena like you can only play standard so once the cards aren't standard legal do you just have dead cards on your account? do they turn back into currency? like what exactly are they going to start offering other formats and like what kind of rabbit hole does that go down so I'm curious to see how they handle that. It's
0: especially that. Uh, frustrating because there's no dusting or anything so at this point like there's just nothing you can do it's not even like you can get rid of the cards that rotate and use them to get new cards because of how the economy is set up so I know they've talked about having arena modern which we don't really know exactly when that will come or what that will look like what sets it would include but some sort of non-rotating format so I expect that that's a partial solution but people forget how few cards are actually playable in modern like for if you take your typical standard set and there's like a handful of cards so you still are stuck with a lot of cards that just suddenly have no use at rotation so i hope they come up with a better solution i'd still like to see dusting i think for me that's that would be the biggest thing some way to get rid of cards that you don't want and turn them into cards that you do want
2: yeah that's that's my the biggest hurdle for me to like jump into arena heavier, because like I've been in the beta forever, but I just like haven't put in the time for it, um, is that it just doesn't feel accessible. Like I know with Hearthstone, like because the decks are just like 30 card decks, and it's all you know twos or singletons of the the legendaries. Like I could spend you know 40 to 60 dollars get a bunch of packs open them, see what I get, and then just dust everything that I don't want to play and build a deck that I want to play, but like, because of the way Magic is as a game and the cards that are, how, how you have to have cards in your deck and the way the economy's set up, like you just can't do that, and for me, it just doesn't feel like it's worth the the time investment or the extra money investment for something that I just like have nothing to do with it when I'm done
1: that's a good segue into the follow-up post which is the economy post and the economy post so they, it was actually fairly long-winded uh the important information is with their internal testing tier one decks cost roughly between 95 and 145 packs uh so remember you get i think it was at 90 packs set for a hundred dollars
0: Ninety packs for a hundred dollars, and I think on the grind you can get ten to twelve packs a week if you actually are daily grinding for every reward.
1: Okay, so that's the rough price of a tier one deck based on you know their metrics. Um, they weren't happy with daily rewards, so it's being changed yet again. So previously it used to be that you can grind infinitely, uh, and uh, you would get wild card or. Or individual card rewards. Sorry, uh, you know, towards the later end. And the initial thought was that's too abusive because you know there's always something to do, so people will never stop playing and they'll just play eight hours a day. So they changed it to be front loaded, as we see today, where the first win gets you two fifty gold, second win uh, gets you I think a hundred, and then it stops after five. And that lets you, you know, not have to play forever. But then people said, hey, but I want to keep playing and I get nothing. It feels bad. So now going forward they're mashing the two approaches you're getting some combination of gold beyond the fifth win and individual card rewards so that that was kind of the meat of the post they're also not happy with the vault uh you know you don't know when you're getting your next card you you don't get a sense of progress and they're going to change how the vault works in july however (laughs) in this in this post there were some choice words used that got the community basically in an uproar. And I'll I'll give you the two quotes. Uh, My words, we, and then quote, are more expensive in total, but we offer more gameplay. So this is in reference to uh, Arena's gonna be more expensive than its competitors. So Hearthstone, Eternal, things like that. But we're better, essentially. And then the second quote is, we want you to focus on the amount of money you want to spend. (laughs) Not what you want to spend your <sighs> gems on. In reference to why are there gems and gold, <laughs> and uh, people just, just, just lost it at these two things. <laughs> uh, kind of, kind of a slap in the face of players. You know, if this was a larger game, uh, you know, this would literally be the front page of Reddit and not the Magic Reddit. Uh, EA had a similar, similar thing that kind of kicked off the whole loot box abuse thing where. Uh, They they basically said they want players to feel uh, rewarded when when they uh, progress and open their loot boxes. And this is Magic just saying, it's going to be expensive, suck it up.
0: Man, it was was rough. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Uh, uh,
2: So, like, (laughs) if there weren't already two other platforms to play this game that you are expecting people to spend money on, then maybe I could see some kind of justification. But it's like people are already buying paper cards. They get nothing in Arena. People are already playing Magic Online, which you get nothing in Arena for it. And now they're going to have Arena be more expensive and then point it out and be like, hey, it's fine. Like there's more gameplay. It's like it doesn't even have more gameplay than the other the other venues like the other forms of magic that I'm already playing. So like what makes you think that that's going to be acceptable?
0: Yeah, there's so many things about this post. Like the quotes are horrible. I don't know how they actually had those in there, especially since they took like 3 weeks to write this post. It was supposed to come out a long time ago and they kept making excuses and saying, "Oh, next week or next week." And then it finally came out with those quotes that were horrible. But even beyond that, like Wizards just saying that it's uh, on average, or Midian, they said, 120 packs to get a tier deck. And their example was Mono Green Stompy, which just happens to be a deck that doesn't require any rare lands, which is one of the big, like, uh, the pinches, I guess, is to get the, enough rares to get your rare lands on Magic Arena. So I feel like. Uh, that by itself, it, that's not what people really want to hear. Like, is that an acceptable price point? We were talking 90 packs for $100, uh, 120 packs on average to get a not even super expensive tier list. You're looking at $120, $130 for a deck, with the in keeping in mind that you can't sell these cards. You can't dust these cards. You can't trade them towards another deck like you can in Paper on Magic online. So, is, is that an acceptable price point? Like, will people do that? I think you can buy Mono Green Stompy for the same price on Magic Online and trade it for another deck when you're done with it.
1: But here's here's the problem. Is $300 for a standard deck acceptable? Right? Like, you, you have the same problem and you could apply all these quotes to Paper Magic. And if you say $300 in paper is acceptable, then $100 online is a discount, quote-unquote, discount, right? So... It looks okay, but if you make it even cheaper, say you make it fifty dollars or ten dollars, who's gonna buy a three hundred dollar standard deck in paper now? If you make it cheap enough, everyone will just play arena, and the paper game will suffer. I, I don't. I don't think that's true because, like, you you can get money back out of your paper cards. Like, yes,
2: it's a three hundred dollar deck in standard, but like you can always go like you can sell it and get you know your hundred or one hundred and fifty dollars back out of it. Whereas. With arena, whether it's fifty dollars or a hundred dollars, like you have to go into it knowing that like you're not going to get anything back out of it. Plus, once you get the cards from these packs that you're opening, you can't turn them into anything else.
1: Yes, that's the rational, mathematical <laughs> answer. But we know Magic players don't follow this, right? And if you just lower arena, like sure. uh, let's say the cost of a standard deck after you sell it back is say a hundred bucks, right? Or let's say fifty bucks if you make arena an arena deck 50 bucks would people play paper still like if it's the same price why would i go through this hassle of keeping tabs on what spiked what dropped what's rotating gotta sell it back and you know this deck is hot i don't want to sell my cards if you just make it too cheap they'll just play arena and arena not only competes with hearthstone it competes with paper magic and i don't think wizards is willing to compete with paper magic and we will never see a cheaper arena. It will always be relatively expensive because of this. I I could deal with
0: these prices if dusting was a thing. I think that's the part that kills me is like if you need me to put out if you need me to put out $120 for a deck, that's okay, but if I can't turn that into another deck if my deck gets bad or if there's a rotation, that's the part that is just so frustrating. And like I've been doing the goldfish gladiator thing and I've been trying to build new decks every week and so far I've had to spend like four or five hundred dollars because every time I want a deck like I just gotta buy another hundred packs and crack them and hope I get wild cards so I found it to be super frustrating and the other issue is you can't even necessarily get the deck you want and they kind of hinted at that I don't know if it was in this post or another one but like saying oh maybe you should go outside your comfort zone and like build around the cards that you open like you don't have to build even though you want mono white control and you're control player. You don't gotta build the Teferi control deck, just if you happen to open what red cards and build the Hazrat deck instead. That's how Arena's supposed to work. So, uh, I don't know. I'm frustrated by
2: it. <laughs> so, I have a couple thoughts. Uh, first, on what you just said, that doesn't work when you have a, a one-deck format. So, like, the current standard, if you don't have the cards to play mono-red, are you just going to lose to every mono-red player because it's the best deck? S- secondly, I don't think that there needs to be a direct competition with Paper Magic. There should be some way to where they are symbiotic, to where you get something in your Magic Booster Packs that will allow you to also get something in Arena, whether it's like chance for a wild card, chance for whatever. Like I think that it should be a symbiotic relationship and not just something where they're at odds. Um, I would be fine with dusting. I also would be fine if they just made it so instead of getting a rare card in your pack, like you, like you, they just—they're just wild cards now. Instead of, instead, it, it, one slot is always a wild card or, or something of that nature. Um, I hope they fix the vault because it feels really bad to open like your fifth Scarab God if you're extra lucky, and it gives you the same progression towards something as you get like your fifth, you know, whatever unplayable mythic that's in. You know, one of the sets or whatever, like, the cards have, like, they should have variable importance
1: based off of what they do or what their value would be in the real world, I think. Yeah, I mean, what do, you, what do, you, do you think they'll walk back on dusting? Because, oh, like, almost every post they make, their differentiation from Hearthstone is you don't have to make the decision to destroy cards, that you're always building your collection, and they tout it as a strength of arena, and, you know, wild cards is their great innovation to CCGs or whatever. Like I just can't see them walking back with them. Like sorry guys, dust, <laughs> right? And like my heart's still down. Like I, I just can't see them turning back like that. Like they they've dug themselves so deep in here. They're they're entrenched with this wild card vault thing that uh, I just I can't see dusting actually coming.
0: I, I don't think they <clears throat> unfortunately I don't think they will add dusting but I feel like the whole idea is it just shows such a huge misunderstanding of how magic and collection building works it's such there's so many bad cards in magic and that's something that's been talked about a lot even compared to like Hearthstone their sets are smaller and etc cetera, etc cetera. but there's so many just unplayable cards in magic because of limited which is fine in paper magic because limited is great but on magic arena you're still 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 opening packs that are just absolutely stuffed with unplayable cards. So when you buy 90 booster packs, you're really just knowing like all of these are basically worthless, but I will get some number of wild cards. So what you're really doing is you're spending $100 because you know you get between like 7 and 12 mythic wild cards or whatever out of those packs, because so many of the packs are so bad, and I think their argument that it feels bad to dust your cards, or their other argument that everything's going to be playable, they're going to make formats where every card is somehow playable so you need all these cards i think both of those are just silly i think it is 100 this is the more profitable model for them because they can just force you to buy more packs whenever you need a card to complete your deck and they're trying to like hide behind the idea that all the cards are playable and these other things that they say
2: so my big qualm with that is that like the ip of magic and the way magic plays as a game is enough to distinguish you from hearthstone that like not dusting because people will associate that with Hearthstone as the hill that you want to die on is like a Magic Arena, you know, product manager or whatever. Just seems really silly to me. Like, there's a reason that these successful games like Hearthstone, Shadowverse, um, Eternal, uh, Elder Scroll Legends that this game is, like, being modeled off of as far as a digital platform using the Magic IP. Like, there's a reason those other games have been successful, Um, and one of those is dusting as, as a part of the card economy, and I think it would be really silly if they don't end up walking back on it at some point.
0: Yeah, I don't know why they... Like when every single other game, or at least most of the successful ones, have dusting, it, it's kind of weird. It's like when you're building a deck and you're like, oh, everyone's playing Goblin Chain Whirler, but I think I figured out the right three drop for my mono red deck, and everyone else in the world is wrong, but I'm so much, so much smarter than everyone else that I'm going to play whatever on Crop Crasher or four copies of PLR or something. You're like, uh, you're probably actually wrong here. Like sometimes the fact that everyone else is doing something and it's working means that they actually figured it out and you're just kind of like tricking yourself to think you're smarter than the rest of the world by creating wild cards
1: yeah i I think the bet they're trying to make is they want people to play magic as richard garfield intended and i mean that like actually truthfully in the fact that you know ancestral recall is super busted but it's rare and if you're just buying packs the odds of you getting it are not that high and this rarity balances it out and you're supposed to build with whatever you have it's like actually playing a league where you open a sealed deck and every week you add a booster pack to your pool and you keep going and i think that's the experience they're going for as opposed to uh what in franchise magic players want it's like oh pro tour winning deck lists okay uh number one for chain rollers let's get that for hazardous let's get that you know they kind of want you to discover cards and work with what you have, which doesn't appeal to me, but maybe that's the market they're going after, the super casual people that open it uncommon and say, hey, this might be good for my deck, let me put it in, let me try it, uh, but the problem I see with that is they're just going to get crushed with <laughs> red-black mid-range from the Pro Tour when they play, so the- these two sets of people don't intersect. It's like if you showed up at FNM with your Pro Tour, or not FNM, but at the kitchen table with your Pro Tour deck, uh, it's not going to go well. And online, this, there's no differentiation here, right? You all play against each other, so this is going to happen. So I, I don't know that magic as Richard Garfield intended actually works on a platform like this.
0: Uh, yeah, I think the ship has sailed on that. I think we're just so ingrained with deckless and Pro Tours and GPs and the hot new tech that... I don't know if you can go back to that. I think, like, we're just in a different world now than we were in, like, 1994 or whatever.
2: Yeah, I mean, so, like, when the beta first started and I got to play and it was just Ixalan, and it was just, like, Ixalan constructed with the cards you opened and the first packs that you got... That was very, very fun because there wasn't an already fleshed out alternative. But now that we're getting all of standard and there is this fleshed out alternative, it just, like, that's not a possibility anymore. Like, you know what's best and to, to you know to do something otherwise, like, is a feel bad for a lot of people. And the hindrance at that point is the economy with getting to... What they feel is best.
0: uh Well, that's Magic Arena. That's the Pro Tour. We better jump into fishmail before we uh run out of time. So, Richard, fishmail us up.
1: All right. First question: Sebastian Tans, why is Mystical Tutor banned in Legacy?
0: Oh no. Was it? Oh, uh, what was the specific deck? Was it Miracle related? Do you remember, Chris? You played Legacy back when it was banned.
2: Yeah, it was the Reanimator deck and and, and Storm as well
0: reanimator and storm i'll go with chris he's our he's our legacy expert
1: (laughs) (laughs) there you go 11 vicious
2: yeah but so so like it got banned before the miracle cards were even printed so like now add that on top of it that just seems pretty insane
1: (laughs) all right 11 vicious i can't make grand prix vegas this year but some friends of mine are going if i send some cards with my friends seth would you sign my master's 25 photo blood moon richard would you sign my death right shaman sure i'd love i'd love to sign some blood moons (laughs) Uh, CarolixRex78 I'm looking to buy original dual lands in paper what is the best way to get them for a decent price do you have any recommendations to avoid getting scammed by online sellers such as eBay
0: oh man, eBay is a little bit risky there are a lot of fakes going around now the good news is eBay does uh, tend to side with the buyer in a lot of cases so you have some amount of protection I would personally recommend looking for like legitimate sellers though over eBay specifically for those cards because I've just seen so many fakes around especially if you're not kind of an expert in those cards and just buying them for the first time so I would look at Channel Fireball, Star City Games, Card Kingdom the big vendors if you're not too picky maybe you can get some like moderately played or something that'll still be good enough if you just want them in your EDH deck and get a, a deal that way so I would get them soon prices are getting crazy we have the legacy or team pro tour that includes legacy this summer and reserve list stuff is just going up and up and up so i would definitely move that to the top of my priority list
2: yeah my my advice would be a don't wait because they're not going down Uh, in fact if they haven't already spiked yet i think that tundra and tropical island are fairly underpriced so make sure you get those um i also would not recommend ebay outside of verified sellers accounts so like I know for Card Kingdom we don't sell like HP cards on the website but we do sell them on our eBay store so as long as something is like sleeve playable we usually sell like HP or signed or non-English stuff on our eBay store so you can find some pretty good deals there but also at like these larger events a lot of the vendors will bring their HP stuff with them that they don't sell on the website because it's kind of like as a buyer, you have to determine yourself if you think that it's still sleep playable at the condition that it is, but dual lands are usually in those boxes, and you can you know, get them for some pretty good prices, usually 50% or less uh, than what you would expect to pay
1: online just with a good condition card. That's a good tip. Uh, Tidal Wave 87, when you guys podcast, do you start with the scripts or do you just kind of wing it?
0: <laughs> um <laughs> we usually have like two or three topics that we want to talk uh talk about, but there usually isn't much of a script. We mostly wing it within those topics.
1: Alright. Echo base MTG. Do you know if the if DCI will be used one day on Magic Arena? Meaning that participating in events will provide planeswalker points. Same for Moto, a single cross platform account.
0: Uh they should, but they've never done it with Magic Online, so I wouldn't get my hopes up super high, but I think that they should do that. Yeah.
2: Um, yeah, I'd be surprised if at, a, if at some point it's not like combined all, all at one point, but then at, at that point, I think that they will have moved away from the Planeswalker points like giving you anything.
1: Yeah, how do you, I mean, if you win a PTQ on Magic Online, like it's not tied to your DCI? In any way, like it just happens unofficially after the scenes, because there there is some tie, but I guess it's just not official. Is it tied to Magic Online? I don't think you put your DCI number anywhere. No, but so you, they just wizards calls you afterwards. Hey, saffron olive, what's your DCI number? Like, <laughs> I'm like when I was you win a PTQ one Moto.
2: Well, so like your email address is attached to the account, and everybody, I think everybody has an email address attached I to their DCI. And and if you don't, then they just probably create a DCI number <laughs> yeah. for you.
1: Yeah, I was going to say that it sounds like they have to, because I, I, I'm going to assume eventually you'll have PTQs and stuff on Magic Arena, but maybe they'll just do it this weird way where it's just kind of unofficial after the fact that they just email you for your DCI. Uh, SSBM Aggie, my friend did well at a large modern tournament, earned over $100. The check the store gave him bounced. What would you do in this situation?
0: Uh, I would probably... Talk to the store first and see if maybe they'll just take care of it. I think that would be step one. Uh, then I guess if they're jerks, that's Reddit blast time. <laughs> I don't know. What's what's the next step if they're just like the next hey, step? Sorry. Is it
1: wizards. Doesn't doesn't the don't the stores have to respond to WPN requests or something? Like I this, guess this seems like a massive yeah. violation of something, right?
2: Yeah. So like uh... step number one always try to get cash as your prizes if there's money prize So, uh, if a store is wanting to give you a check especially for a prize that's only a hundred dollars that's certainly a red flag um, i would talk to the store first because ministry lgs want to give them a chance to make it right if they don't then i would reach out to wizards and complain via the wpn network and put it on social media like People, people, other people deserve to know if this store is giving out bounce checks and not willing to make it right.
1: Alright, JR Delani, what do you think of the prices of inventions? The high levels they're at right now. Uh, is this where they will stay or should I sell them while I have them?
0: Uh, I would keep them, I think. I don't think they're really gonna. My opinion is they're not gonna go down unless they somehow got reprinted, which seems pretty unlikely. So I think if from the Vault inventions, <laughs> I, man, I guess you could see that <laughs> happening. But I think outside of a strange reprinting, I don't see them crashing.
2: Same. Like this. I, I wish I had bought any. Yeah, I didn't buy any
0: inventions either.
1: All right, super psycho. Kai or Finkel?
0: Oh, I, I was talking about this on social media. I used to say Kai, but I'm I'm in the Finkel camp now. I think Pete Kai will never be topped. Like his whatever three year run or something. No one will ever be as good as that was again. But I think the fact that Finkel still just like runs his hedge fund and then goes and casually like top thirty twos every other pro tour, uh, I think that puts him number one in my book at this point. For me,
2: it's like. An MJ LeBron argument that I feel is just splitting. So they're just like 1A and 1B. They're both number one. Yeah, like I don't think anybody's ever going to come close. Um, Although, give Owen another 10 years and then we'll have to start the (laughs) conversation again. I
1: I think it's actually Finkel, hands down. Although, you know, know, I don't want to take anything away from Kai's accomplishments, but consistency across different eras of magic. Like Kai, you know, absolutely dominated when he played, but. Magic players today are much better than Magic players back then, and the fact that Finkel is still starting off the Pro Tour 8.0, or whatever, and you know, is a force to be reckoned with, uh, I think it shows how good he is and how he's, I guess, adapted over time or gotten better over time somehow. Because he's still doing well, you know, in today's world where you have dedicated pros who actually do nothing but play Magic. and here he is he just shows up for the pro tour crushes and goes back to his normal job it's like actually quite ridiculous he's not a real person he's actually just like a comic book <laughs> character <laughs> so so the
2: the whole skill level across the eras i think is a very interesting conversation to have and while i agree that the average magic player now is way better than the average magic player was then but like what kai did in his prime wasn't just top 32 in a bunch of tournaments, or even top eight in a bunch of tournaments, he won five Pro Tours over the course of two years. That is literally insane. Like, while I agree that the average Magic player now is better than the average Magic player last year, or uh, then, but like I can't imagine that the average Pro Tour top eight-er now is that much better than the average Pro Tour Top 8 or then, considering they're were all, they all in the Hall of Fame now. Good point. Five Pro Tours in two years. And that is why this insane. conversation
1: will never have a finish. <laughs> the, the question is really, in a couple, give a couple more years, where does Paulo rank? Where does Turtenwald rank? Where does LSV rank? And will you ever mix these people yeah, uh, I- with kind of these 1A, 1B people that we talk about today? Yeah, I mean, Finkel's insane. Don't want to take anything away.
2: Kai's also insane. Like They're just both robots that play magic. Uh, but I remember seeing a tweet uh, over the weekend after Owen top-aided this Pro Tour that just said that like the top five of all time is getting like more and more crowded.
1: <laughs> all right. Next question, k 98 Curs. Richard, what is your preferred cloud infrastructure offering for web apps? AWS, GCP, Linode, Rackspace? do you prefer serverless or instance or individual instances it's a very technical question goldfish is hosted on AWS serverless uh, I prefer it because it's already done <laughs> so it's too much work to switch even if it is suboptimal optimal at this point but I think it's actually pretty pretty optimal as well uh Dave smash with Seth Richard and Tomer all being at GP Vegas what are the chances we get a live commander clash
0: possible I think it's it's a possibility. It is very hard to record stuff in paper we're figuring out, so we'll see if we actually figure out a way of doing it.
1: Yeah, I, I, I've been playing with, like, cameras and <laughs> random stands to hold cameras, so <laughs> <Yeah>. fingers <laughs> crossed that we can figure it out and we're, it will look legitimate. I,
0: I woke up the other day and I had this... This guy from Richard saying, do you have a Swiffer? And I was like, what is a Swiffer? And it's like this broom thing. And apparently Richard figured out that, like, the the handle of the Swiffer is the perfect thing to, like, host, hoist up the camera or something. So
2: we're going deep. Wait, you, you didn't know what a Swiffer was? I don't
0: really know my brooms, I guess.
1: Oh, boy, Seth. You don't know <laughs> Swiffer's? You don't watch MCU? Have you ever,
2: <laughs> have you ever lived anywhere that's had hardwood floors? Uh, yeah, I have. Oh, man. Then you should definitely know what a swiffer has.
1: but but it's in a, it's like a, a like a light metal handle that retracts so it fits in a suitcase and it's light and it has these little holes in it which make it easy to mount so I, i'm making a camera setup with swiffer handles <laughs> multimedia macgyver <laughs> all right next question echo base mtg following the top eight meta if you could add one black green white blue no red here for some reason of your choice in m19 the shake-up standard what would it be oh this is a good question
0: so like one card of each color except for red because
1: apparently oh, yeah. red doesn't strong. need we any don't help need to
2: add anymore it doesn't need to <laughs> dragon that's for sure
1: uh that is a tough question a lot of Elf would have been my like, go-to for green before chain roller but a lot of has been added and it is not good somehow
2: uh how about like uh, i think scav i think scavenging news would i'm gonna be yeah maybe at.
0: like Inquisition of Kozalek for black? Maybe that's not good enough. Hmm. For blue, I don't even know. Like, what is Counterspell? They almost printed Counterspell, apparently, in Dominaria. Maybe Manalake, Mana yeah. League? And then white. What gains a bunch of life and is actually playable? Blessed Blessed Alliance?
1: Ooh, Blessed Alliance would be good.
0: Path hey, is a good exile? one,
1: too. Path Too good, isn't it? It's really good. I I think I I want a white creature. I want like a four drop that's on par with a phoenix or a glory bringer or something. Like maybe hero of bladehold.
0: Okay. I could see. I can't think.
1: I can't think of good four drop white creatures. (laughs) I guess guess Gideon. (laughs) It was Gideon, right? (laughs) I guess we had Gideon for a while. Or
0: maybe maybe
1: Gideon. Ooh, that would
0: be. I like Gideon Jura.
1: All right. Next question. Kyoji, Takanouchi. I'm going. To Grand Prix Vegas. I'm making my favorite content creators sign cards. What cards would you all like to sign? Uh cheap, f- che- cheap playable FOIL EDH cards would be ideal. Ooh.
0: Uh, uh Panharmonicon? I don't know how cheap it is in Foil, but
1: Increasing Ambition. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Chris, what Chris, what card? What, what? What is your signature card? Storm Breath Dragon. But I won't, I won't be in Vegas, but I've signed a lot of Storm Breath Dragons. <laughs> All right, Canadian Crawler. I'm still a new player, so I want to know if older sets in Standard usually dominate the format, or is Kaladesh Block an anomaly?
0: Yes, older sets usually do dominate the format. Yes, Kaladesh Block is also an anomaly in that it's even more... It's been
2: more dominant than the typical set. Yeah, I mean... It's not, it's not surprising that every time we've had an Artifact-based set in Standard, there have been yep. bannings. Ursus block, Meriden block, Scar's block, Kaladesh.
1: Alright, last question. Kisan Kajay, I'm looking to get into Commander and I want to pick up the most common staples so I can build a variety of decks. What are the top 10 Commander cards I should pick up? Ooh,
0: uh, soul ring number one. Solemn, that sounds awesome. it could <laughs> it be, could be. <laughs> actually. Uh, EDH Rec is a pretty sweet site that actually shows you all the most played cards. But just going at their top 10 really quick soul ring, cyclonic rift, swords to plowshares, eternal witness, cultivate, counter spell a whole bunch of signets, kadama's reach, demonic tutor, putrefy, lightning greaves. So check out check out the top cards on EDH Rec. It's a pretty sweet listing for stuff like that. I use it for deck building commander decks sometimes.
1: Yeah, and if you just want to go top 10 for all decks, then all the colorless cards. So like Soul Ring we talked about, uh, Swift Boots, Solemn, Skull Clamp. Chromatic Lantern. Commander Sphere. Kind of those generic cards that go in every single deck. Uh, Gilded Lotus just got reprinted. So... oh Oh, mana base that's That's true that's
0: also a good suggestion colorless lands strip mine gotta have every deck strip mine
1: strip mine (laughs) wasteland if you want to be baller (laughs) all right that's all our questions this week thank you To everyone who sent them in, if you have questions, send them to the hashtag mtgfishmail on Twitter, and we'll get to your questions.
0: And I think that brings us to the end of episode 175 of the MTG Goldfish podcast. So, uh, Richard, Chris, thanks for hanging out. We'll do it again next week. Thanks to everyone for listening, and this is the crew signing out.